Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. This is a reminder that we're going on tour next summer. Yes, that's right. We're going on tour. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour 2022. We're leaving on May 9th next summer. We're going to every state and we're raising a million dollars. That's the plan to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. We need your help though. I cannot do this alone. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in this uh, project of ours. You can go to our website, www.livingundeterred.com. We need volunteers. We need state partnerships. We need sponsors. We need as many people as we can to get out there and help those people that need help to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. Again, go to livingundeterred.com and click on the Living Undetoured icon, and all the information is there. Again, thank you very much for the support, and as always, keep living undeterred. Hello, this is Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred Project, and a welcome to what I am going to admit up front I'm slightly nervous about. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in the last year and this particular guest, I am super stoked because I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. Uh, I'm, I'm stepping outside of the, some of the boundaries that I've, I've um, limited to myself. And I'm very excited to have a conversation with my guest today, Jonathan DePotter. He is the founder, the CEO of Behold Retreats, which we're going to talk a lot about what he does. And I know a lot of you watching the show today and maybe seeing the title of the show, Maybe a little confused, but let me explain to you something about what the Living Undeterred Project is all about. Uh, for those of you following my story, we lost our lovely son, Seth, uh, October 4, 2016, to a heroin overdose. And I lost my wife of 21 years, approximately five months ago, uh, to trauma and grief, but specifically to alcohol abuse. And this is the first time publicly I've actually said that, but I do think I owe it to her to make sure that we learn from this. We try not to make those mistakes. And I am all about learning, education, and inspiration. And my guest today is going to talk about all three of these. He's also uh, very active in or maybe taking a different approach to what he's involved with in working with um, entrepreneurs, leaders, and CEOs. So I thought it's funny, Jonathan, I'll throw this out, that you go by the psychedelic CEO. <laughs> so I, that that's the first thing that attracted me to your story, I think I saw you on LinkedIn, and I thought, you know, I've always wanted to have somebody on the show from the psychedelic angle, because there's two areas of grief and mental, mental health that I really have me interested in that I have zero experience in. So I, I'm not your normal host here that's, that's, that's going to talk to you about things that I'm an expert in. I'm just a dad from Iowa that's very passionate about these things. But it's brainwave pattern research and psychedelics. Those are two areas that really have me excited about how we can change the narrative of mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. So with that, here's our guest, Jonathan D. Potter from Thailand. And I'm honored to be talking to you today. So uh, let's maybe talk a little bit about expectations are for the show today and how, how you and I think we can start navigating through this exciting topic. Beautiful. Well, you've um, you've set me up so brilliantly there, Jeff. So so thank you. And uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll have a lot of uh, fertile ground to cover. And um, my my deep condolences for for your losses. And uh, you know, like like so many of your listeners, you know, uh, heart really goes out to you. Um, so I think you know, there's a couple couple of dynamics that are I think are of interest in relation to this subject. So I think first and foremost, uh, a distinction that I like to draw is between what we have set as the bar for mental health, which is mm -hmm. a subjective level, which is a reflection of population sickness, actually, mm -hmm. rather than population health. Um, and so we can talk a little bit about that. The other dynamic that I think is important in relation to this is you know, the deep spiritual aspect of this work. Right. Um, and I myself went into my first experience as an atheist, uh, right. very much a Newtonian and material uh, worldview. Yeah. And so was very surprised when uh, these these doors were opened. Um, and then and then in relation to that is the, in, in kind of 
you know ties back to what you just mentioned there in terms of brainwaves um, and uh, and grief and trauma is um, is vibration and consciousness, mm. right? Um, so as as we progress through this work and we harmonize more of our subconscious and are able to release some of those lower level things that are not what we are, so the grief, the fear, the apathy, the anger, the shame, the guilt, all of those lower level emotions that are trapped in our physical body. Um, then we are able to access higher higher state vibrations, and through these you know um, experiences in in these higher states, we come to recognize that indeed it's all just energy, and it's um, and and so our our understanding of the relationship between our inner world and our outer world changes very dra- dramatically, and our understanding of of you know what we are as as individuals and our role within uh, the collective universe. Um, is is can be fundamentally shifted through these experiences um and then of course our work is to integrate these very powerful and transformational experiences to improve the quality of everyday life and ultimately to begin to move towards these levels of consciousness on a sustainable basis rather than just in an expanded state on say a plant medicine psychedelic retreat Mm -hmm. so there's a few different you know ideas in terms of um, directions we may take that take it from here yeah, I think when I was doing some research and background on, on your story, I, 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 I come from the lens of being fairly naive on this topic. Uh, I think I told you when we talked before the show, uh, I have never done drugs. I have never done psychedelics. I think I smoked pot once in college, but I was drunk, and I think I don't remember the experience as being a good one. Um, I've always felt I had drugs in my body. And when I was in high school, Len Bias, who was a, a, a tremendous basketball player, tried cocaine on the night he signed his multi-million dollar contract to the NBA and he died. And that always had me worried that, you know, I was more concerned with I would like drugs too much and with an addictive ADD or attention deficit, I hate the word disorder, attention deficit is no disorder, it's a superpower, trust me. Um, I was always worried I would get I would get addicted and couldn't quit. And so that was my stigma with psychedelics and that stuff. And then with the war on drugs coming, research on, on this area kind of got set aside. And now we're seeing a resurgence or a renaissance in, in plant, plant medicine, we'll call it, uh, which I like that better than psychedelics, to be honest with you. I think there's so much um, stigma with this, uh, that word that I think it scares a lot of people. So after Seth died, I thought, you know, what I can do justice is not go out there and try to be that angry dad, but be a dad on a passion, a passionate mission about learning. And you talked about an atheist. Um, I'm an agnostic. I write about it constantly in my writings, my blogs. Um, And I think atheist for me is a tough word because to me, it implies that I know something like I know there isn't a God. And I, I don't think I'm ready to say that, but I'm certainly comfortable saying that I don't know. So I think that I think that's where the ag- agnosticism comes into me. When I look at psychedelics, if I were to go on a trip, which I, I really believe I'm, is the the, the, the of it is very exciting to me, very very exciting to me. Not from a seeing God or a celestial entity I'm going to meet, but from an inner vibe. You talk about vibrations. I love that that word that you use for this inner consciousness or this maybe inner outer consciousness that we have that we're trying to get to another level because I told you on the show that we are the most unhappy, most hurting society as humans that we've probably ever been. And abundance, we should have access to more information. Uh, just look at the states here. Look at the obesity rates. And we know, we know what's on everything. Everything we eat and put in our mouth it tells us how bad it is. So where do you see this bridge from well-being and peace uh, versus or the other side of the bridge of where we are with the land of abundance and we're just miserable? Where do you see us tapping into this wisdom to become you know, happier, better? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it all it all relates back to our level of consciousness. So the way that I typically articulate this to our clients is that, you know, to oversimplify, I kind of I talk about consciousness in four broad bands. So the bottom can be typically um, 
identified as inaction. So when people are depressed, right? So they're, they're kind of stuck because of the lower level emotions like the shame, the guilt, and the fear. Right. And so they just, they feel like they're being victimized by life itself, right? Um, right. Then above that, we would have um, what I would describe as the, the hyperactive levels of consciousness. And so, you know, that's where most people who are productive in everyday society are today. Um, so that's really living from the emotions of um, pride, anger, and envy, right? So mm-hmm. um, these are the kind of predominant emotional states. And what we tend to see from people there is very busy. These are the very, the very busy people are, are in these kind of hyperactive uh, states of consciousness. Above right. that is what I would describe as more um, kind of interdependent and collaborative. Um, so these are the states where we are, I guess, more willing um, to adjust our point of view in order for, you know, the collective good. Um, mm-hmm. And there tends to be an increase in terms of our willingness to uh, relinquish control um, mm-hmm. to a great to a great degree. Uh, and then above that is what I would describe as the mystical states of consciousness. So that's when the um, things like rationality and debate and differences no longer hold any relevance because we understand that love is fundamentally the single unifying force of the universe uh, and, and that really nothing else matters. Um, right. And so, you know, when, when we talk about this, um, if you look at the predominant narrative in relation to psychedelics and plant medicine today, what you'll see is that most of the conversation predominantly is oriented around the lower levels of consciousness. So we're talking about treatment for depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, And, you know, don't get me wrong. Like those, those are all very important subjects. Those are, you know, to to put it in financial terms, those are massive markets because as you say, we've got all sorts of diseases of abundance and people are suffering and we don't want people to suffer, but it's, it's, it's a bit limited in the sense that it's not talking about our opportunity to thrive. So we're just trying to, um, out the the minimum amount of errors so that we can get back people back up to a operational state so that they continue to work hard in whatever it is that they're doing versus getting people to really high levels of consciousness and really thriving to their to their utmost potential um, and so the I think part of the um, part of the reason for that being the case is that it's actually easier to go from bad to better than it is mm-hmm. to go from good to great Um, So, you know, the example I sometimes give is look at any psychedelic community or psychedelic society. What you will often find is that um, these are people who perhaps aren't doing so good themselves, right? So still living in scarcity, relationships are a disaster, you know, walk into their homes, it's still a mess. Maybe they're not doing things that they like in terms of jobs. So it's not that psychedelics are in of themselves, it's are are positive, they're neutral. It's how we use them. It's the context in which we enter this type of work that is so fundamentally important. so when coming back to, to your question, you know, in relation to how do, how do we facilitate that evolution? Well, I think, unfortunately, we're, we're at a juncture where there is such a heightened degree of interest in relation to the subject with, unfortunately, not sufficient high quality supply of expertise and guidance and coaches and facilitators mm-hmm. uh, to be able to guide people on, on, you know, the most transformational experiences that are possible through this work. So I think, uh, unfortunately it will be a bit of trial and error. Um, I certainly see that, you know, the, the Western medical model is not necessarily in the highest interest of this work, but of course right. that is what's being pursued because that's the, the paradigm that is in place. Um, but ultimately we will gravitate. I think we will gravitate. I'm, I tend to be, not too judgmental in relation to this. We like human beings always do. We will gravitate towards the things that work and the things that work best Mm -hmm. over time. And so while we see a bunch of commercial interests trying to rebrand, you know, addictive substances like ketamine is psychedelic or MDMA is psychedelic. um, Don't get me wrong. They have their place. They're just not, they're fundamentally not psychedelics. um, Then, uh, then we will, you know, we will, we will bump into one another. We will trip over ourselves and one another a little bit, but we will, we will get there as I think we we always do. But um, I think it's going to be a, um, yeah, it's going to be a pivotal point uh, in terms of how how this subject is released and how well we care for one another and educate one another through that process so that we're able to get the most out of these um, these powerful substances. Yeah, I have, I have so much to say about what you just said. And I got to thinking about when I first started the Living Undeterred project uh, after I uh, this one's for you, an inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning. 
uh, very interested in many angles of this of this aspect. Obviously, the stigma with what you're kind of up against. You know, you talk about Western medicine and so forth. You know, you know, from my perspective, get the the pharmaceutical industry. You know, the um, especially being injected into seems like so many different things. Um, I originally thought that I was going to go after big pharma, go after the drug cartels. You know, that was my that was my supply side mind working, Jonathan, mm-hmm. that to fix the change the narrative, I was going to focus on where this is coming from. But the reality is it's coming from us. It's coming from the demand side. You know, my son yeah. and my son and my wife made conscious or possibly subco- subconscious choices to go down those roads when those other roads were there. They just chose not to take them. So part of my mission, certainly I'm trying to get pharma to, you know, spend more time and emphasis, which, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of companies now that are taking some pretty big hits on the stock side, on the, on the, on the media side, which is, which is good. We need to reshape the industry. I'm not, I'm not anti-drugs at all. My dad's a retired doctor. So um, I obviously have some skin in the game from that aspect, but I noticed something when you were doing an interview, you talked about CEOs in particular, Jonathan, which again, piqued my interest when I met your story about releasing and uh, I wrote that down as a quote that you said in an interview that I thought interesting, that when CEOs can release fear, they become better leaders. So not my CEO hat here and not my, my dad hat. And talk a little bit about uh, CEOs and leaders and entrepreneurs and how possibly this, this psychedelic angle, another uh, tool in the toolbox or another arrow in the quiver um, to make them better leaders and, and better, um, you know, better people. Yeah, one of the ways I like to um, contextualize this one a little bit is, uh, I don't know if you, you've met, read um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outlier. Yes, I have. Yep, yep. I yeah, have. In, the, in the first chapter of that book, you'll remember that he talks about NHL players and them all being born mm-hmm. basically within a three-month window. Right. Uh, and the yep. reason for that was because they're more physically developed. You know, the ones right. that are almost five are much more physically developed than the ones that just turned four. Um, and that that cycle perpetuates itself into the big leagues. And so we find in the NHL, everyone's born within this three-month window yeah now this is unfortunately this is a little bit the same dynamic that's playing out in relation to the people who are in leadership positions around the world so the question is what is it that unites the the people who are driven towards the most success in the external world and i believe the answer to that question is they are the most traumatized um, and the reason I believe that is because I was very much on that path myself uh, mm-hmm. ahead of discovering, um, you know, ayahuasca and, and, you know, working with plant medicine and a lot of the mental and emotional work that followed. Um, and so, you know, so these are these are a group of people who, to, to a great degree, they have been um, removed from themselves emotionally, um, usually through childhood trauma, or perhaps intergenerational trauma. Uh, and so as a result of that, they actually require external validation to feel good enough. Absolutely. And so that becomes a cycle that perpetuates itself. It starts in school, right? You get the highest grades, you get the pat on the back, and that begins the cycle of hyper-competitiveness, win at all costs, and those are the people who are going to make it to you know the best universities, those are the people who are going to make it yep. into the, the consulting, the banking, the finance, the trading jobs, those are the people who are going to make it into the big tech companies, and then yep. it just goes from there. Yep. Um, and, so, and so that's where, when we talk about you know, world leaders and CEOs and people who are in those, those positions, positions, they have so deeply overwhelmed their um, stress systems, right? Because they're just so used to being in a state of constant overwhelm. Now, in in managing such a high degree of complexity. Now, when that takes place, um, number one, the the physiology is, is shot in terms of our uh, nervous system, but equally it begins to do damage to the very software of our brain. So what tends to happen is because we are just overwhelmed and, and stressed is that there's so much complexity to manage in everyday life that the brain begins to take shortcuts in its thinking. It begins to t- it begins to respond to patterns rather than to actual stimulus. Right. Uh, and while that sounds like a, a positive adaptive response, what it actually means is that the brain is becoming deterministic. Uh, so you're actually losing your neuroplasticity in relation to that. And I think we can all see it, you know, people who've been in, in big management positions they can all see it within themselves in terms of where they become very patterned because they've seen so many patterns, right? I think a great um, 
amount of management and, and leadership is about pattern recognition mm-hmm. uh, and being able to apply the right treatment to patterns that you've seen over and over again. Um, right. And then, you know, when it comes to consulting or leadership in general, you're also rewarded for um, for your ability to predict potential future negative outcomes, if I may right. frame it that way. Yep. Yep. Right. So your brain is constantly in this mode of looking for, um, you know, lines in the grass out in the distance. Right. So then, so then bringing that back to, you know, releasing fear. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of the programming, uh, on a societal basis is scarcity, right? So we are chasing mm-hmm. after, uh, we're chasing after big numbers mm-hmm. and we're chasing after all of these things that from the outside that we hope can give us the security that we want to feel, but it's, it's still not there, right? If you mm-hmm. look at, um, I'm just going to pick on him because he's been in the news a lot recently, but if you look at Elon Musk's face, it doesn't, that doesn't look to me as someone who's found great contentment and and security within uh-huh. so it's it's not that that outside hmm. abundance is going to give him that it has to come from within um, right. and so if we look at any of the dysfunction that's materializing in the outside world it's always a reflection of what's going on in the inside world very much as you know you described in terms of what happens or how you see what played out for for your family and so you know what what is available through these experiences is typically there's there's patterns you know there's two patterns that fundamentally emerge one is in relation to empathy and the second is in relation to courage so first and foremost empathy for ourselves right so there's a lot of healing work typically to be done through through you know inter- being introduced to plant medicine uh, and that's releasing a lot of the lower level emotions and also regaining our neuroplasticity right so as these um you know these medicines facilitate the growth of new neurons so that means that our brain is being reconnected in ways that it hasn't been often for decades or even since we were children and so that can actually give us access to painful memories and experiences that we've actually uh, compartmentalized away from everyday waking consciousness. Uh, and so as these you know, painful earlier life experiences are being reintegrated, we actually have the opportunity to process them and ultimately release them. And we will, you know, through that, we ultimately, we see how those things are manifesting in our everyday character. So it could be anger, it could be impatience, it could be, you know, any type, any number of of, um, character traits, often even uh, unexplained uh, character traits that we can feel being released alongside some of these, you know, earlier traumatic experiences. So developing that empathy for ourselves, first and foremost, and healing ourselves, which then allows us to also extend that more broadly out to others. Uh, and then the second is really courage, right? So once we once we lose that fear, once we've released that fear in relation to uh, us individually not being enough or they're not being enough. So once we drop the belief in the scarcity mindset, um, then we're able to pursue things that are much more aligned to our, you know, our, our unique gifts and strengths. You know, I think it's, it's through our pain that are, and through our own story and the pain that, that is inherent within that story and the suffering, that is where our superhuman skills and strengths lie. And that's where our gifts lie that we have to bring and to give out into this world. And I think we are just at a, an incredibly exciting point because, you know, so many more thousands and millions of people are putting down their jobs of cranking out widgets uh, yeah. in, in companies and dedicating yeah. their lives to helping others because they've come through a path of, of growth and healing. And so they're very motivated to help others in that regard. So we're actually moving to a, a place where we're focused on the collective elevation of consciousness, which is which is super, super exciting. That's exactly what happened to me, Jonathan. I Started my company at 23, worked 100 hours a week, slept in my car, you know, no computer, basically sold intangible concepts to people door to door. You know, you not selling a car or a house, I'm selling retirement and build up a company at, at, at 50, you know, was on top of the world. And then my son dies and I watch my marriage start falling apart and watch my way. And I just said, you know what, I have evolved, you know, and uh, that. I, I think I'd like to talk to people about is let's don't let's don't be survivors solvers let's shed our skin let's you know Horace said non sum qualis aram and he talked about um, I am not what I was or something to that effect and that is so I'm not the same Jeff Johnson I was five years ago I'm a new person I've most of the same everything in me but but I'm not the same person I'm completely different and I have mm-hmm. found a way 
become a better man, not a bitter man based on the events that have happened to me that, that defined me in a positive way. And I remember the day my son died, you know, after telling my wife, which was the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life is to come home and say, you know, honey, our son's dead. And after we got up from the floor, I thought, how am I going to tell my two boys that their older brother is dead? And mm. I called my dad, my dad's a retired doctor. And I said, dad, what do I say? My dad said, I'll tell you right now what to say. You tell them the truth and then you shut your mouth. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, okay, I like to talk. I'll tell the truth. So I got one of those down. And the boys came home. I sat on the couch. And I, I swear to you, Jonathan, I did not realize this. I don't know where it came from. But I said, boys, your brother's dead. We went through the little thing where they, everyone got uh, really sad and everything and so forth. And nonetheless, I said, we have two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred, and we'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves. Or we have a road of motivation and inspiration. This will be the greatest single event that will happen in our lives and the lives of others around us. I'm on the second road. I ask you to join me. And the key part there, part there, Jonathan, was I didn't want to tell them how to grieve. I wanted to show them how to grieve. I went straight, I went straight freaking downhill, dude. Drank myself to death, considered possibly killing myself. This is like the year after so here I was showing strength immediately I had a mask on in front of my boys but I wasn't doing that because I didn't really know how I, I knew how to say what I was going to do but I didn't know how to do it you know do you follow and yeah. so so after a year of just figuring some things out I got heavy into meditation got heavy into reading got heavy into writing quit drinking uh and everything all of a sudden my life started changing I started realizing that there's a lot more ways out there to look at grief and trauma and in, in Man's Search for Meaning, which I'm sure you've read, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, probably the greatest book I've ever read. I've read it at least three times. He said, suffering is my opportunity, and a light bulb went off. I remember where I was reading it. I was at, I was at a pool reading it, and it hit me, and I, I shut the book. And I, you have those epiphany moments, which you probably have a lot of them. And I said, this is it. This is the sentence that... So I rephrased it, Jonathan, and I came up with, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. And so I, I have kind of learned that, you know, it sucks. As far as I know, nobody's going to ever get off this planet without being into death at some capacity, you know. Uh, and someday I will, so will you. And we leave behind people that are going to have to learn to grieve. And in the meantime, before I die, people are going to die. So I'm going to have to learn how to, how to find inspiration and, and honor the dead and live living is another way I like to say it. So... I was very attracted to trauma and grief. That was the big thing that really I wanted to get you on my show about, because I know most people probably want to talk to you about uh, using psychedelics for PTSD and depression and anxiety, which is great, or maybe elevating to a spiritual plane, which is great. But I'm really interested in, in the trauma and grief therapy uh, and how people can use this to, to become better people. But before I have you, maybe you've already covered a little bit of that. I'm also heavy into stoicism, and mm -hmm. I, really, I really believe that the mindset behind increasing our well-being, that we have more control over changing our lives. So what's your thoughts on, on how we can change uh, you know, negative behavior and maybe not avoid negative, because actually negative emotions can be great inspirations for great ideas, right? You know, envy and greed, envy and greed is company up on. I was jealous that other people were doing better than me. I think imposter syndrome is a great thing. Um, mm. doing, somebody doing something better than you makes you get better. But then again, those negative habits, drinking, smoking, lying, stealing, those things can be the downfall of us. So what's your thoughts on that? And, and do, you, do you know much or do you work much in the, in the stoicism arena as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I, I look at this work now to a great degree is it all starts in the mind. Right. Like, um, you know, my um, my mother's working on uh, her cancer. She's moved in with me about six months ago now. Oh. And, uh, you know, virtually all the all the work that we do together is is mental and emotional work. Um, and so, you know, once we're able to clear the the grief, once we're able to clear the traumas um, and, you know, she's she's recently cleared stuff that took place when she was age three or four that she had, you know, again, no, no normal conscious uh, recollection mm. of. So really mm. it takes, you know, an expanded state to be able to access these things that the brain is, you know, the ego itself is such a, it's such a well 
well-architected and well-oiled defense mechanism, right? That's mm, fundamentally right. what it's there for. It's to, it's to defend us. And so when we encounter grief or we encounter trauma, here's this really effective mechanism that just jumps into action to protect its owner from, from the thing. Uh, and so in, in theory, you know, that's when it's working well, it's allowing you to continue through that day. Um, but to the extent that that's actually optimizing for your long-term health is entirely a different question. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many aspects to this. If we talk about mind, body, heart, and spirit, um, you know, grief and, and trauma, um, takes hold in each of those kind of four areas, um, and, and has a real impact. Right. Um, so there's, there's now some, uh, increasing science out there in terms of, uh, let's just take the topic of epigenetics, right? Which yeah, is our, our gene expression. Yep. And, you know, trauma and grief, absolutely. These are things that massively impact our genes if we don't process them uh, accordingly. And so then then the gene, the genetic expressions or the, the genetic misexpressions can can manifest as disease, right? So it starts in the mind, then it manifests in our genetic expression, and then ultimately it manifests in some form of, um, of, of physical disease. Uh, and right. then, you know, then we're on a very different path. Um, and, and then, you know, what we do with most of our trauma clients and, and, you know, I would categorize grief within that generally speaking is, um, is it's really about emotional processing and emotional release. So when, what I'm talking about in relation to that is like, be getting really connected to our emotional body. You know, I used to use my, my mind for these things and my body for those things, but the mind and body connection is so important. And so developing that connection so that we can actually release out these lower level energies, um, is so fundamental to actually healing and being able to um, come back from, from grief and drama. So what's your thoughts? Or what's, what do you think the reason we are so unhappy as a society and maybe just focus on, on, on the Western, on, on the United States, maybe because that's where I'm from, Iowa. And so are you, I think you're from Maui, you said, right? You're from Hawaii. Yeah. 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 Um, why, why, why are we so unhappy? We have all this great information out there. We have everything at our disposal, but we are miserable. The suicide rates are the highest they've ever been. Depression, anxiety, um, alcoholism, drug overdoses. When my son died, there was 56,000, Americans overdosed. There was a hundred thousand last year, you know, and these people aren't just dying because they're curious and exploring. They're, they're, they're escaping from something. Why yeah. the hell, why the hell are we so unhappy? Yeah. So I think, I think the best way to tell this story is to wind all the way back. So we, it's worth looking at, okay, who are the countries and who are the cultures that are, that are alive and existing today and why? And the unifying theme across them is unfortunately pretty much violence, right? So the most successful cultures are those who have uh, colonized the world and who have, you know, either successfully beat the neighboring countries or, you know, very likely they've had to go to war or defend themselves through, through pretty serious stuff. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of intergenerational trauma that, that we're carrying, right? And so, you know, kind of relating this to plant medicine for a second, um, you know, if we look at um, how indigenous cultures do these medicine ceremonies, what they will typically do is they'll bring, you know, 10 or 20 people together, they'll drink the medicine and they'll clear whatever stuff has been going on uh, within the community, right? Individually and collectively. Right. Now, for us, some of us, some of us maybe haven't cleared that stuff for 10, 20 generations because we've lost our, um, our, our wisdom traditions. We've lost our medicine traditions. You know, when we hear about the um, people, the, the Salem, you know, the Salem witch yeah. trials and stuff like that, these, these, that was effectively the loss of the medicine traditions. And not mm -hmm. only that, but through history, colonialism has basically wiped out medicine traditions in all countries that colonialism could reach uh, and made all of these things illegal. So it's only, you know, places deep in Africa, high in the Andes, deep in the Amazon, that these wisdom traditions have survived. Um, and these are the cultures that are still connected, right? So the word, the word that if there was to be one word that comes to mind, it would be disconnection. And so trauma is disconnecting from ourselves. Then as a result of that, we've also become disconnected from our communities, right? And I think in the US at the moment, we, we're, we're getting, you know, pretty spectacular front row seats in the sense that, you know, people just have lost a sense of community and the sense of 
um, shall we say, responsibility to the fellow man. Actually, there's a great podcast between them, Ezra Klein and Patrick Deneen. Patrick Deneen wrote this great book that was about why uh, liberalism has failed, but what he actually is talking about is uh, individualism. And in that, he talks about how on the left, people believe that, you know, the in essence, that the government should provide for the people. And on the right, we have a group of people who believes that the market decides who gets what. And that we believe that these are the two systems that are possible. And he says, what's interesting about yeah. that is that in both systems, you are, you are removed from responsibility to your fellow man. And so we've just got this fundamental breakdown of, um, of the social fabric of, of, of communities, right? People don't feel connected to their community. They don't feel like they owe anything to their community. They don't want to contribute uh, to their community. So the disconnection is from self. The disconnection as a result of that is to family and community. And then finally, uh, and then for disconnection from nature, right? I mean, we are doing things to the great mother, to the collective mother, um, that clearly no, no reliant organism would, would hope to do to their host unless they were parasitic. Uh, and so that begins to, you know, raise questions in relation to the relationship that we have with, um, with mother nature and the relationship of course, that we want to foster, um, so that we can, you know, live peaceably and harmoniously individually as families, as communities, and as a, a human species in, in harmony with all the other species that also inhabit this beautiful planet. That is so beautifully well said. Um, I'm going to have to watch this a few times over and remember what you just said. They're disconnected. What a great, what a great word to pull out of this whole, uh, you know, whole bucket of frustration and confusion and, um, uh, I think that's so true. I mean, I think I look at the mask that we all run around on wearing. I know I did it for many years. We used to say fake it till you make it in the business, you know, and you probably heard that phrase. Uh -huh. And I did. I, I faked it till I, well, I don't know if I've ever made it, but I, I, I've done it quite well in the financial services industry to feel like I made it. Um, but there is a disconnection. There's certainly a disconnection. And uh, I, I speak to, and now that I've got a fairly decent social media, I get, I get emails every day, you know, people killing themselves. Um, look at, um, look at Anthony Bourdain, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Anthony Bourdain. And I just watched a Netflix documentary on him and how, how sad and tragic it is for uh, humans to lose a person like that did so much for so many, yet he had these inner demons that he found a way to resolve. But, uh, and then I look at, um, you know, I'm a heavy metal guy, as you can honestly tell. Uh, and I look at my, one of my favorite bands of all time, Metal Church, uh, their lead singer, Mike Howe, last year at 55 years old. And I just saw their concert. I saw them twice, two years ago, and, I, and I'm baffled uh, how this can happen. So I'm, I'm so happy that I get you on this show and talk about this, because I think there's a lot of people that are very, very interested in, in um, some of these ways we can move on. Let me put this all in the box and finish the last you know, 20 or 30 minutes about this topic. I talk about that. When I started looking at ayahuasca, and I really had never even heard of ayahuasca until a couple of years ago, um, and I talked to a lot of people about possibly going on a retreat. I'm very interested in, uh, in, in what you do and, and possibly, uh, full disclosure, possibly using, uh, using um, Behold Retreats uh, for my first experience. But I don't want to go from zero to 100, right? I think that's a, that, that's, a, that's a big risk for me to jump into this from never doing this stuff to going on an ayahuasca retreat. But what's the sensitivity as somebody who is, you know, very heavy into this, into the indigenous cultures, to respecting the, the shamanism, to the globalization of ayahuasca? And sometimes I've talked to people about this and they're like, yeah, you're just another rich white Westerner wanting to run over to Peru and be saved. And I'm like, that's a good way to look at this. Maybe that is what I'm looking at doing. But am I looking at this the wrong way uh, for my first experience as being selfishly something to benefit me and to maybe not respect the indigenous people? Because as you said, with colonization, we have just come into some of these areas of the world and just removed the history and the, and the legacy and the, um, I don't know. I, there's something with me that's a little, little concerned about me going down this road. But I want to make sure I do it with the utmost respect to the, the, the shamans and to the, uh, to the indigenous people. So help, help me walk, walk me through this. 
Yeah, so you'll find this is this is a very interesting subject because you'll find as many opinions on the subject as there are people. I have more opinions than there are people <laughs> in in the world. There's um one of our one of our medicine men. Uh, he's been doing this work for thirty years, and you know his maestro, um, who he apprenticed under, is 102 years old, indigenous, um, you know awesome. from from an indigenous background. And um, you know, it was, I was recently speaking to him about this subject, and he said something that I that I loved. To repeat because it just it struck me in a way that I found was interesting and I don't necessarily entirely agree with what he said but I but I respect the spirit in which he said it he said Jonathan his, his name is also Jonathan slightly confusingly but he said Jonathan look ayahuasca is combination of two plants that when they come together and someone drinks it can really help someone anything over and above that is just humans getting in the way mm-hmm hmm and that really struck a chord with me because he went on to say, like, look, there's there's 250 different traditions and they use, you know, they brew the medicine, they use different vines, they brew the medicine in different ways. They have different additives. You know, there's just so many traditions out there. Um, and so when people, you know, he, what he was trying to say is that when people say that this has to be kept in in a particular container, he was saying, I don't necessarily see that. Um, and, and, you know, that it also links a little bit to what I mentioned before, which is there's there's a culture and there's a context and there's a community under which this, this these medicines were traditionally used right so these ancient wisdom traditions were always used within the context of community as a collective sort of experience and then you would be returned of course to the community and the collective and that culture um following your experience so there was a different container that you were coming from and going back into relative mm. to someone flying down from new york city um and going for a week-long retreat and then flying back to new york city right um and so and so um the reason i share that is that you know i personally think that there is a degree of um you know, especially for those people who are in privileged positions like you and I, um, mm -hmm. I think there's reciprocity that we try to honor in two directions. Um, the first is psychedelic harm in a generic context. Um, so, you know, we, we support Fireside Project, which is um, okay, they're, they're kind of like 9-1. Yeah, they do like 9-1-1 for... Um, uh, for psychedelic harm, all their services are free. So anyone who's having a bad trip because they've just gone and found something for twenty bucks down the road and tried right. to, you know, trying to do their own healing right. work themselves, it's it's a resource for them in their time of need. Uh, and the other one is is indigenous reciprocity, right? And so um, you know, we work with we work with indigenous healers. Often these healers themselves have kind of removed themselves from their own communities, so yeah. you find as many other <laughs> perspectives and ideas in yep. relation to whether they're still members of these you know the communities that they came from or whether they're kind of out for themselves on a more uh, commercial pursuit but for me personally like again I think of this as it's all a evolution and reflection of consciousness and you know and, and it's ultimately about self-determination and free will um, and so I don't think that I don't think that anyone needs to try to be too prescriptive in relation to what the how the work is done how the medicine is brewed and all of those sorts of things i think that people are most people in this space are trying to do the, the best that they can they're trying to honor uh the people they're mm -hmm. trying to honor the land they're trying to honor the wisdom traditions um the variety of quality of work in in this space is staggering you know i always encourage people i say go look at any retreat aggregator you'll see it's all five stars that doesn't reflect my experience um and so and so yeah i think it's important that there is reciprocity to people who aren't in positions of privilege i think there's it's important that there is reciprocity to indigenous uh yeah. groups and cultures and um but then you know but exactly how that takes shape i think should be at the behest of um, each retreat center or each organization, uh, and then people can self-select into you know what resonates with them individually. You know the uh, the, the um, autonomy is so important in in uh, addiction and substance abuse, and um, you know uh, not battling being dependent on the uh, developing autonomous skills. You know, and um, so I, I I really like that answer that you talked about uh, in regards to the indigenous people. And I see a very interesting dynamic in regards to trying to protect their integrity uh, and then capitalism, you know, filtering in and actually probably changing the.
many of these people in these indigenous areas uh, to the point where they're probably saying, hey, this, this can be a business. This can be uh, new money into our economy. And, and that's, again, I know capitalism is death nail to a lot of people on one side of the fence. And then, but again, I don't live in these indigenous areas and I don't know what it's like to have to work for food. And I don't know what it's like to have an opportunity like this presented where I could use a skill of maybe being a shaman, but at the same time, feed my family and increase the well-being of my community. So I do think there's, like you said, you talked about the polar opposites, the liberals and conservatives, you know, it's either or, and that's kind of how Americans live in this society. And that's why this disconnect angle, I'm really going to do more. Do you have a book? Yeah, I want to know if you have a book because I, 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 some of the things you said I've been writing down, but I was curious if you've ever written a book about your journey and about some of the thoughts and ideas that you have, because I think disconnected would be a whole book you could write about the disconnection that we have with social media and politics and all these things, especially in the United States. I, I don't know where that came. I just thought about if you had a book. Yeah, I've been I've been meaning to get around to it. Uh, I haven't uh, haven't started it yet. I've, I've got well, you should you should have this. a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Too kind. Um, okay, so talk a little bit about the indigenous people. That was important to me. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Fireside Project and about your um, Behold Retreats and kind of end the show on a little bit more specifically about you, um, your business model. How, what is an ayahuasca retreat? Maybe in, a, in five minutes, I get on a plane, I fly over there. What the heck happens all the way in between? And it seems to me, based on your website, that there's a setup time that you just don't get on a plane, you know, writing a check and go over there and get fixed. There, there's some there's some pre-op that we have, you know, before the operation. Um, and, and maybe talk a little bit about that. So the person like me that's very naive on this can get a really full, immerse ourselves into, into, the, into the journey and um, help us through what to expect on some type of an ayahuasca retreat. Yeah, so the way I very much look at this work now is that it's 80% mental and emotional work, which is what sets up the 20% with plant medicine to be as effective and transformational as it can be. Um, so, you know, in essence, Behold Retreats was really born out of my own experience, my own motivations, my own mistakes over quite a number of years in attending a bunch of five-star retreats. And I realized that, you know, my first retreats, I wasn't well prepared. I didn't really know what I was trying to do. Um, and I didn't really, yeah, I just really didn't understand the depth of the work or what good looked like. Um, and so, you know, I started thinking, I started, you know, obviously friends started coming to me uh, and asking me questions about, you know, my experiences and they could see the shift in me that was taking place. And so then that motivated me to, you know, first it started with a, a bit of a document in terms of, okay, here's, here's my experience. Here's what to look out for. Then it turned into hosting a retreat for friends. And then I realized, yeah. okay, there's like, I really want to be able to invite close friends and, and people in my network into really high quality experiences. And so once I started working with some private healers, I recognized that the difference in quality between my first three and a half years of journeys at various five-star retreat centers versus the realm of the possible were just on two different, completely different dimensions. And so that really redoubled my motivations. And I'm like, okay, there's, there's really something else here. And so um, what we try to do for our clients is really help them um, get clear on future self, right? I truly believe that anyone can become whoever it is that they want to be. Um, none of us has any real limits. Um, it's just, you know, false limiting beliefs that need to be moved out of the way. So we help our clients get really clear on, on their future selves. Number one, uh, second to that, we really work with them to surface the mental and emotional blind spots, right? So, um, what is it that's keeping you from being that person today? Uh, and so that's when all the lower level stuff comes in. That's when the negative patterns of mind and the limiting beliefs come in. So they'll work with one of our coaches, one of our therapists, depending on where they're at and what they're working on, uh, to really dig deep in terms of, you know, being able to surface those things and ultimately release those things. Uh, and then the last thing is we teach them tools. So, you know, I mentioned emotional release, emotional processing before in terms of working with medicine, that's so important. You know, there's a saying in our industry, you can't heal what you won't feel. And so we have to go looking in those dark places mm -hmm. that we don't want to look. And we actually need to feel those emotions. We need to release those emotions. And for many of us, we've spent most of our lives avoiding uh, feeling those emotions. And so, 
we, we always try to make sure that our clients have those tools leading into the medicine work because, um, you know, the way I look at these plants is they are trying to, the medicine's trying to harmonize mind, body, heart, and spirit to a single vibration. And once it's been able to achieve that, then it's moving your your body up, it, you're, it's moving yourself, you're being up into a higher vibration. And what that does is it then amplifies some of the dissonant lower level energies. And so that can amplify the pain, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the trauma, all of those sorts of things. Um, and so if we don't know how to release that in that moment of amplification, um, then it be, can become even more, even more frightening because we're trying to lead away from the experience. And then it becomes you know what is often referred to as a as a bad trip because we're just right. not accepting the experience for what it is do you think a lot of are just a false set of expectations i know when um i talk to people about meditation they say oh i tried it nothing happened and i'm like well okay you just kind of described meditation what it is it's like your expectations are something is going to happen so do you think that here's jeff johnson flying out to you know i places you have mexico costa rica peru netherlands portugal and spain if i flew out to uh the netherlands to go on an ayahuasca retreat um you think my expectations will be out of whack you know it's a it's a good question and i think um yeah it's important that people don't have too much in the way of expectations you know it's it's good that people educate themselves um i always encourage our clients um to educate themselves specifically on the more challenging experiences that can arise because you know as this space is increasingly commercialized, then you can certainly see that there's an amplification. Even the media, right? Even celebrities, um, yeah. you, you can see are amplifying the good and, shall we say, downplaying the challenging. Uh, right. So we had a journalist actually recently um, join us. At, um, she did a, a psilocybin retreat in the Netherlands, and she had a really challenging experience. And so she jumped back on a call with me yesterday, actually, and she was like, she was expecting me to be defensive in relation to the story that she felt called to write. And I was saying, no, I absolutely, you know, I absolutely respect and honor um, the fact that you are going to write a story that that is going to bring more nuance to the conversation, because Perfect. the reality is that these. I mean, my my first experience, I threw up 150 times and I passed out 10 times. It was I was truly underprepared and not well cared for um, on the on the spiritual plane, and it was it was I was terrified. Uh, and so I think it's important that people recognize the depths and the potential challenges of this work ahead of um, ahead of jumping on a plane and uh, putting putting their themselves through it um the other aspect is um you know really taking the time and energy individually to develop our own why right so it's it's tempting we hear about something that is is framed as good or helpful um and we think oh well i'm i want i like things that are good i like things that are helpful i'm going to go do this um but it's very important to anchor very deeply to our own motivation our own intention hmm. um, because that's something yeah. that is so powerful in that moment where things are becoming really challenging to just to be able to to focus our mind back on that core intentionality and to help us um, yeah navigate some of the more challenging aspects of a journey. It's interesting you say that because someone asked me the other day, uh, why would you want to do this? And I struggle in an answer. I think curiosity, exploration, mm -hmm. adding another uh, arrow to my quiver, uh, you know, a tool to the toolbox, so to speak. Um, okay, so let me ask you, what is the best uh, way for people to follow you, to reach out to you, to inquire about um, not just Behold Retreats, but I love the Fireside Project. I was on your website quite a bit last night um, reading about it, and I think that's an awesome aspect adding to this journey that you're on, and I think um, people like me that are completely naive on this topic there's a benefit to being naive, right? Because you're open-minded, uh, yeah. and I don't, I don't have, a, I don't have an agenda and put you on the show to grill you about anything. I, I put you on the show selfishly to learn more about what you do, and hopefully, in so I can present this in a open-minded tone to my followers and my future followers. Um, but um, anyway, what's the best way to reach you? I guess, and then I have another kind of wrap this up for you. I know it's getting late there where you are. Um, but how do people follow you and reach you? And um, if people have some uh, questions to ask you in regards to personal uh, becoming a client of what you do? 
Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at behold underscore retreats, or you can find us online at www.behold-retreats.com. Um, and, um, you know, for us, there's no book now button on our website. Uh, you got to speak to a, a real person. Um, so we invite you know, all of our clients to fill out uh, an application form, then either me or one of my team will be in touch. And, um, you know, we'll talk through where you're at and what you'd like to gain from experience and help you understand whether you want to join one of our small groups or as I often recommend to people um, you know if you're in a position to do so consider doing the work privately um, because that's a it's a very different uh, type of experience so I notice uh, nothing in here on your site says anything about the United States is that simply because this stuff isn't legal here is that and you have you have um, some pushback in that area and do you see the United States you having facilities uh, to do retreats here yeah, so um, there is a small subset of, um, of legal retreat centers that do operate in the U.S. Um, they do so under what's called the Religious Freedom Rights Act, and mm-hmm. so they're they're operating under some, you know, typically it's an indigenous church uh, sort of a context. Um, sure. A lot of the leading practitioners, as you might imagine, don't want to be in a compromised sort of situation. They don't want to be, you know, given the nature of the work, they don't want to be looking over their shoulders. Uh, And so that's why a lot of them are in Costa Rica or Mexico, Peru, because that's where the work is, is legal. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, there's a lot happening in terms of decriminalization, legalization, and medicalization. Uh, As you might imagine, there's, um, you know, there's, forces at work that are very eager to patent and medicalize yeah. and yep. <laughs> control uh, these medicines yep. because they are so powerful and effective. Um, yeah. I don't personally see that being the model that's in the interests of you know the greatest human good. Uh, I still think that any compromises of that sort that are required in order to fit the square peg into the round hole and to get this treatment available to more people is absolutely compromises being made. Um, but, you know, the right things will evolve. You know, the, there is higher order here that is underway. And um, and the plants are facilitating and architecting that in ways that uh, even the most advanced spiritual uh, mystics and healers are still doing their best to understand. So uh, I always play, place great faith in that and um, and our collective evolution. Well, I, I love your outlook on everything, and this has been an, an awesome hour. And I have last thing I'm going to I'm going to ask a favor of you. Um, uh, about six months ago, foot RV, and I am traveling on May 9th. I'm going on the Living Undetoured U.S. tour, and I'm going on an RV for 95 days to every. I'm raising a million dollars for mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. I'm about five. My driveway. I have 17 states already committed to uh, to work with me. Now I know you don't have the the United States, you know, boots on the ground facilities as of yet, but I'm so interested. In you do at some capacity that I, I would invite you at some point to uh, to be involved on the as, as a as a research project to help Americans to help the world change the narrative of mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. And I, I'm Again, I'm just a little overwhelmed conversation today, and my mind is spinning that I'm going to be doing so much reading and more research on this. But I wanted to personally invite you as a mine uh, to some at some capacity partake on this journey with me. Again, I'm 95 days. Uh, we have a lot of sponsorship, corporate sponsorship, uh, and uh, this is a, an area that I think has tremendous amount of upside. Uh, full disclosure: I own some stocks in companies that invest in this area. Uh, so I personally see this as an area that, that has potential for, um, for people to be putting capital in uh, and to building equity in their own portfolios. Uh, I think it's an untapped market. So I, I admire what you're doing as a, as a business owner. I have slight imposter syndrome with you. <laughs> I'm like, I wish I and I love what you do. But again, thanks so much, Jonathan. Uh, I, I, I'm a, uh, Super excited to have this opportunity to talk with you. Do you have any last closing remarks you'd like to say to my listeners on on anything that we've talked about today? 
No, um, yeah, I'd love to know how I can uh, support your your mission. It uh, sounds beautiful. I love I love what you're doing, and I love that you're, you know, you're 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 walking the talk, which is uh, which is amazing, uh, or or rolling across uh, all all fifty states of the or the forty eight anyway. Um, so I, I love that. You know, the last thing I'd, I'd love to say is, um, look, obviously we focused in on plant medicine and um, and psychedelics, but ultimately I think the big opportunity for all of us is to give primacy to what's going on in our inner world. So whether it's through meditation, which you've already spoken about, whether it's through breath work, uh, contemplative practices, prayer, um, you know, whatever traditions, uh, religions resonate yeah. with you, um, you know, all the scriptures, if, if they've got all the right messages. And these are the same messages that come from the plants often, you know, some, yeah, you know, there's been point. different interpretations of different things, but like just being just harmonizing our inner world to, to a single vibration and then lifting that vibration is by far the most important contribution that any of us can make for ourselves and indeed for the rest of the people around us and and humanity as a whole so just find find some time and some energy to dedicate to your inner world well listen uh, i love you like a brother man i just met you good luck to your mom i admirable what you're doing uh i i, I think that's awesome i just lost my mom a month ago uh 89 years old yeah wonderful wonderful i watched my dad take care of her to her last breath and i got so much respect for people that that put themselves in those positions and um and step up to the plate and help help our family anyway man uh thanks a lot so much um i'm sure our our paths will cross many times down the road thanks again for being a, a guest on the living on the turd podcast and uh, best of luck with all you do 